the one thing that Dre says that's kind of crazy, no matter how great the team is, he, he's always like winning a championship is super hard. So like playing versus the Warriors, I'm like, it couldn't be that tough because this is the toughest team I ever played versus. Right. So, I, you know, can you give us insight to like what it's like to, you know, climb the mountain and, and win a Super Bowl championship? Especially in football, which is probably the hardest. You, you yeah, know, you got ain't no series. You got one chance. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy, actually, because, you know, I went to the Super Bowl my second and third year. And so, like that first year, we thought we could make it. And we got close, but we, we lost. We still needed some, you know, we needed to mature a little bit. That second year we went and we won it. And then now you're hearing, oh, y'all never get back. Y'all never get back. Y'all never get back. And then we get back and then everybody know we don't hand the ball off. And, you know, that's right. that's that. I, I, like, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I knew you were going to do it. Because I, I, I got to know. This is Andre Iguodala. This is Evan Turner. We're trying to get to the true essence of not just basketball, but life. And that means something, something, something. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. That level of understanding has been taken out of the game. Out of the game. Welcome back, y'all, to the 15th episode of season two. Point four podcast. Future NFL Hall of Famer, current LA Ram, and Legion of Boom alumni Bobby Wagner joins us for an in-depth conversation on expanding your portfolio, why athletes in different sports sometimes get into it with each other, and how professionals have to prep early for life after football. Bobby drops some jewels on playing linebacker. Like if the wide receiver starts readjusting his gloves, it's probably going to be a pass play. It's like when Dre starts rubbing his hands like Birdman. I know he's about to make a good-ass point. Or when Evan starts retwisting his hair while he's talking, he's teeing it up for a response. <laughs> See, the difference between the good and the great is the little things. Lorraine Hansberry, who wrote A Raisin in the Sun, once said, in order to create something universal, you have to focus on the specific. Lorraine Hansberry, a great Chicagoan. Man, there's a lot of great Chicagoans out here. How many does that come to at this point? 20K? I feel like we need to start reminding y'all about that more. Speaking of Chicago legends, we got to give an on-air shout-out to my co-host, Andre Iguodala, who celebrated his 39th birthday this past week. Cheers to you, bro. Now y'all got 12 more months to put him on every 40 under 40 less possible. Damn, Andre, you never made a 40 under 40? I, ain't, I haven't made one yet. I guess That's I got 12 months to get to work. Uh, yeah, because there ain't no such thing as like 50 under 50, right? It should be over by then. You're right. Once 40, once you get 40, that's it. That's They make it seem. If you work until 50, bro, like seriously working, you should get your, you should have your ass kicked. You should be at your peak in like the next two or three years. <laughs> you're being, you're being insensitive because retirement is at, what you, when we get our retirement checks. I don't know. I exactly. just know like it's it's, it's it? like 65? 65, 55. Yeah, 65, fam. We got you gotta keep working. Nah. <laughs> Niggas are broke I, these days. No, I'ma hit a I'ma hit a lick. I already know I'm gonna hit a I just know in my head, even when they used to show us that like in the NBA, it's like at 65, you get your money. Like, nah, bro, I'll have a lick by then. I already <laughs> run it up. That's <laughs> how so I told myself, like, nah, I ain't gonna need it. <laughs> Appreciate the birthday wish though, my guy. Before we get into this episode, I just wanted to remind y'all, follow at Point Forward on YouTube, TikTok, IG, and all the social media platforms, and share our stuff with folks who might like it. 
Also, check out the latest edition of our newsletter on Substack, point4.substack.com. And the merch is coming soon. I know I've been getting hit up about merch. It's on the way. Point forward. E.T. and I agree on a lot of things, but not everything. Down for that, clown for that is where we take a stance on trending subject and decide whether we are down for it or have to clown for it. Point forward. Empire State Building lights up green bulbs to celebrate Philadelphia Eagles win. But I think they did red the next day, too, for the Kansas City Chiefs. E.T., down for that, clown for that. Uh, <laughs> clown for that? Like, I don't understand it, but all right. I don't know. I, I know for sure, for one, Philadelphia definitely want to do that, and I feel like that's a divisional <laughs> rival. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like that's a that's divisional funny. That's a divisional rival, so I don't understand why that's the case. I mean, spread love, make love, not war. Yeah, I hear you, but, like, that's not a New York. Now, go ride the, ride the subway and see and use that. Are you going to get that type of love? <laughs> no. <laughs> I know. Like I know. We've been preaching to the kids. You know, good sportsmanship, you know, uh, honoring and enjoying the art of the sport. You know, our team lost. And so, you know, we're, we're going to because it's revenue sharing. You can think about it that way. And so we just want the most people to watch, even if it's our own fans and we're, we're, our team isn't in it. I don't know. I'm making some bullshit. Up yeah, you're making some just, bullshit out. I mean, did, the dude, <laughs> did the dude who changed the light, even though it was green, like, did they say that was for sure a thing? Because like, for I sure, I know he's like the fuck. I like, honestly don't think so. Yeah, unless there was yeah. just some random Philadelphian working this Empire State building that night. Then yeah, I honestly think one. that was a mistake if I'm keeping it a buck. Because, and I think they did the red for the Chiefs just to catch the mistake that was made. I don't think they really was doing that for Philly, to be honest. Unless it was a Philly fan or a practical I'm surprised joke. I didn't, I'm, surprised, right, I'm surprised they didn't try to blame the black mayor. <laughs> was, it, was it Michael Adams? What's his name? <laughs> Michael well, Adams was in my super too. Was his name Michael yeah, Adams, the Hooper? Yeah, yeah, that was the Hooper, the point the guard, right? Like five, From back in the day, eight. old school. Yeah, he was nice. Yeah, yeah Eric yeah, Adams yeah, is the uh, mayor. Eric Adams. Shout out to Eric Adams, my fault, OG. You are, I already know how you get down. And shout out to Michael Adams. Yeah, he used to, he used to get busy. Boston College was good. Point forward. Tell me what you're thinking about the uh, Super Bowl with the uh, Eagles versus Chiefs. Specifically, I want to know your take, E.T., on... Mr. Mahomes' father smoking on that Joe Burrow pack Joe that he Burrow said pack. he was smoking on. I thought that was like a sign of respect, to be honest with you. He's been on his Dog. son's ass, bro. Like, so when he's saying I'm smoking that Joe Burrow pack, I didn't think it was taunting. I felt like it was like relief. He was on his... All right, hold on. I got a question for you. What? Why has there been a shift in how we've been interacting with athletes' fathers? And I don't mean that in a good way. As of late, all our interactions with our African-American fathers have been very stereotypical in the actions that the media shows and how they portray them. Yeah. It's, it's, getting, it's getting weird to me. I don't want to sound like an old head, but I just feel like that's just the younger generation of the people that really has gotten into it with people. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Maybe I could be wrong, but I don't know if this is so much the era of like, respect your elders no I, i'm just saying because we saw we saw Jaws' father multiple times and he just it just happened recently this past week again at the pacers game correct yeah and and then we're seeing it with my home's father and they always got them in those awkward moments maybe they had they were enjoying themselves at the game yeah they did nothing illegal but you know it may have been some 
you know, we they have an adult beverage and they just may be comfortable, but it's not yeah. the time for them to be on screen, but the camera's thrown in their face. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that was the first time I ever seen Pat Mahomes' dad. Me too. With you. So, like, yeah, when you break it down, like, I've never even seen him, like, sitting in the stands and they're like, this is Pat Mahomes' dad. Like, none of that. You feel what I'm saying? So, I mean, I don't, clearly there's always a narrative that, you know, could be painted and, you know, picked. But at the same time, you know, with us, bro, you got to, don't remove the fact from you have to stay on guard because it's not like, are you shocked that you're trying to paint a different picture or narrative or catch you lacking? No. Amen. Uh, let what me get, let me not get too cynical. Oh, no, Go no. I feel, no, I feel where you're coming from. I, I, I totally dig where you, you're coming from. I think I answered the question wrong to start, but. No, no, you answered it perfectly. You know, no, you just got to, you can't get caught lacking. I like that. You just can't, bro. Like, why? No, nobody's happy or, like, let's be realistic. Even if we say hypothetically speaking or not, bro, nobody's happy that this beige kid just beat this blue-eyed <laughs> white boy Joe Cool. That's cool, unbelievable, the next coming. He's great under pressure. He took a small-town team here. Besides, like, you know, when Jamar Chase goes and, you know, buys his clothes for him, he, he pretty much keeps it pretty under wraps. No, I mean, nobody, I mean, nobody likes that. You know what I'm saying? I can dig it. I can dig it. We got two black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. And a black tight end, basically. I mean, shoot. What's his face going to get his ass canceled? Uh, uh, what's our oh. man's name? Travis Kelsey. Shit. He got some, he, he from Cleveland. So he borderline got some tendencies where you like, all right, it's say Ohio, but he, he was hanging out, you know, East He Leclerc. from Cleveland? Bro, he's from outside of Cleveland, bro. Like, that's what I'm, t- and then he went to the Nasty Natty. He went to Cincinnati, bro. That's not, that boy oh, really to make sense. that, bro. Every time I'm around TK, he's always showing me big love. I like yeah, being bro. around him, man. He's yeah, bro. one of the coolest cats, man. Like, he be, like, I, he acts like a fan. I was like, bro, you yeah. a cool dude, man. We can hang out all the time. But like like I said, bro, like that energy, you know, Travis Kelsey definitely did a lot of speaking up, uh, you know, in in direction for Mahomes and his people. So, you know, shout out to to Travis Kelsey. What what do you feel right now after the Super Bowl, once Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts, it's the first time two black QBs, I believe, ever went up against each other in the Super Bowl. Do you think that I'll shed the narrative of, uh, you know, whether a black QB can win big game? Well... I do know there is starting to be a change at that position. And, you know, we've been talking about analytics and we've been talking about basketball has changed the three point shot and how everything's navigated around the three point shot as opposed to from the center where it used to be. Even the makeup of a quarterback is starting to look different and you have to be mobile, especially with these rules where you can't hit the quarterback the same way you used to be able to. So they're guarded. And so now they have the more opportunities to gain yards on their feet. So you're going to start naturally seeing more uh, mobile quarterbacks, which was frowned upon at one point, you know. And But it's funny because they still haven't paid my man in Baltimore. But you do have to be both. You have to have that pocket presence and you have to be able to move. And these two quarterbacks getting to the Super Bowl, I think will further that narrative or further that trend. Uh, for the next, I don't know, 15, 20 years, you know, with the way the rules are set and with the way offenses are set up and the way you can't touch the quarterback. And so I think you naturally from that fast twitch, I mean, it's natural to us. I think you will start seeing more black quarterbacks. If not black, shoot. I mean, the whole world is is becoming mixed nowadays. You saw the, True. the movie You People. So if not black, it's going to be uh, Clay Thompson-ish for sure. I mean, I think it's the beauty of evolution, to be honest with you. True story. Yeah. 
and yeah. you, you know, in the shadow, in the shot, in our shallow thinking as well, like shit, every white person hoped uh, their child gets that extra calf muscle that we were born with, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's crazy! You yeah, said that. Like, you were born with extra Kenny... calf muscle. It's like, hey, what? Or like, Kenny Atkinson. <laughs> Kenny Atkinson. We were in practice. Yeah. This was like the other day. He was like, Jesus Christ, I wish I had calf muscles like that. And I was like, man, I ain't had nothing to do with this. This is all uh, in my genes. I guess you got to be African. And then I walked right, in, I was going to walk to JK. I was like, see, look at JK calves. <laughs> it was, no. this was like two days ago. And bro, but, but it's the truth. They really believe that. And they also <laughs> believe, I remember one of my homies back in high school, he had like a showcase to go to. And uh, our, our school shoes were white. And I remember his, his dad texting him like, Stop by and I picked you up. Or our school, our team shoes are black. And um, he was like, I stopped by, picked you up, got you a new pair of shoes. So I'm like, well, why did he get you a new pair of shoes? He's like, white players look slower when they wear black shoes. I literally, had a coach in middle school that did not like us wearing black shoes. Literally, he was like, white players look slower. It's just a known thing. And this is like the smartest dude I ever met. So when I was 15, I I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, He's a jackass. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Et, we we may be entering the Mahomes era now that I'm thinking about it. If he wins his second chip, I can't. I'm I'm not gonna lie to you, bro. My heart of hearts, man, because we. I wanted to respond to this with like, would it stop the question? Can a black QB win a big game, bro? That that boy Joe Burrow might he might have made a leap for the white race. Joe Burrow, like the Bengals, just lost that game, bro. I don't. I, I'm a Mahomes fan, bro. I don't know if we're. In, I don't know if we're in the Mahomes era if he wins his championship. He got to go beat Joe a couple more times. I feel where he's coming from, but that boy Joe Burrow's like that. So, okay. it, and if we're going to say it, race, I don't know if it's our position yet. Somebody, Lamar got to take him out or somebody got to take him out. That was so good. I have nothing else to say on that. I'm 100% in. But speaking of Philly, their pro sports teams are on fire. Um, Phillies are doing well. The Sixers are hooping right now. And B, what MB just did to joke it. Was impressive, and the Eagles—they on a run. The Eagles almost make you forget that Philly's a piece of shit city. Like you almost believe, all right, but you almost believe. Like in my head right now, because the Eagles, I, I'm viewing them like you rooting for them, bro. You know I hate Philly. I am rooting for my man. I ain't gonna lie, Jalen Hurts. No, I feel you, bro. I'm still. I'm not gonna lie to you, bro. And I'm a Pat Mahomes fan. I'm rooting for Philly. I'm not gonna lie, and I think Jalen Hurts deserves I'm it. Going I'm going for Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey because I play golf with them um, at the Century Tournament in Tahoe every summer. We were there last year, and that's just an amazing event to me, and they show me crazy love. Yeah. I go up to them and talk to them. They get bothered by everybody, and, and they just shoot the shit with me all the time. I like hanging out with them dudes. Yeah. Like, they're good people, and so it's hard for me to root against folks that I know. Oh, that's real, and that, and that's... And that's my team on Madden. I go, I go for the Chiefs every single time. I, I just hope, uh, man, the Eagles are playing with a lot of energy right now, bro. And, yeah, they're uh, hooping. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not mad at Philly wins because, yeah. like, they, like, if they, if, if this is one of those situations when I, yeah. this is what, I, this is like my view on sports when you get to the highest level in the championship games. I want the two best teams. I want to say when it starts that both of these teams deserve to win. Those are the the matchups that I want to see, and both these teams deserve to win. Chris Rock said there's not enough black quarterbacks in the league until you can have a black quarterback. So you can have black quarterbacks you hate. That's Damn, real. that's a bar. That's <laughs> a bar, bro. That's real, bro. 
Because black folks got hoopers they hate. Shit. <laughs> are there any are there any black quarterbacks that we've never liked? That's crazy point because the name a black quarterback you don't like. I, I don't think I like Russell Wilson for real. Russell was cool to me, but it does like everyone says it's that, you know, he has that I want everybody to like me vibe. So can you get the genuine person? Not to say that he wasn't genuine towards me, but that's just the sentiment I get from other folks. No, he did that bullshit-ass Wrangler commercial back in the day, bro. After he had that big year, he going to... Brett Favre left the game. Now he going to say, yeah, Brett, I'll take your spot for the Wrangler. And that set us back with black QBs, to be honest with you. You, you know what turned me off? Broncos country, let's ride after every single ass whooping was getting on my nerves. Oh my, because bro, come on, bro. Like, uh-uh, I, I don't care nothing about no slogan when I keep getting my ass whooped. Yeah, I was, like, wait, I was nah, waiting nah, for nah, somebody to nah, nah, throw nah, a nah, shoe nah. or something. Like how they did Man, I was, uh, I was thinking Bush that one time. Back in the day, like somebody, but shut the, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> We're not going anywhere. Point forward. And another first, uh, the NBA All-Star Draft will take place right before the game. Uh, you spoke on this recently, like briefly, but not in depth. You talk about confidence. <laughs> if I get picked last in front of all those people. <laughs> what you going to do? I'm taking a whole thing. I'm going to fuck to the crib. <laughs> bro. I ain't signed up for this shit. I become an all-star. <laughs> now all the good players in the league, like, no, you take, you know, it's not like, you feel me? All right. So the next pod or, or after the official team is announced, we will be having our own draft. We will participate as who got the most picks in the East? It's because it, oh, it was Giannis versus LeBron. Y'all gonna be so, mad. I'm uh, taking. Uh, can I take Giannis last? That's <laughs> <laughs> <Yo>. possible. <laughs> can I Yo. take him last? <laughs> That's going to get a million views. No, bro. Right, stop. Because so, like Giannis, I didn't said enough about Giannis. He might actually whoop my ass on the season. Am right, I so, wrong so, for saying that? No, you're not. To me, you're not. But I, there's something wrong with me. I, I will admit that. Um, there was something wrong with me, too. I'm fucked yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But it's interesting. Okay, so there's a lot of question that comes from this, all right? Like, there is a practice that... There's one or two practices that are had before the All-Star game so the players can at least get, like, some type of feel for one another. Like, it's really not practice, though, but it is. And so, does that affect the game, the lack of practice? No, I, I don't think... I. I think one I thing. Either. I don't think so either. I think one great thing about this game, or even about for some of the top players in the world, this is the cream of the crop. I think the lack of practice doesn't matter because they'll have the freedom to create, and I think that'll be the special to the fans. To be honest with you, imagine Kyrie coming down right at you, no set defense, no no coordinated defense. I think it'll make for a hell of a game, just like last year. But nothing can get crazier than a performance that Steph Curry had last year. Oh, oh, oh! That might be one. That of was the best, a joke, uh, bro. That might be one of the best All Star no, games because he it was probably, shooting. He put a map court and turned around and knew it was good. So like nobody could get mad. Yeah, I want to ask a question, bro, because you see it all the time. We know he's humble, but I want. I just want to ask a question. Like, just go back and look at those highlight clips from that All Star game. He's yep. shooting stuff. He's turning around. He's at the free throw line shooting stuff, going to go find his man before the ball goes in the rim. He's very humble, but at a certain point to do all this is very, very arrogant and very, very like, not a negative way arrogant, but it's just like, oh my, you're playing versus pros and you're literally toying with everybody. Yeah, yeah, he feel himself and- Yeah, like, it, but he, it's a joke, like to toy, to toy with a pro, bro, to toy with a pro like a Trey Young, like Trey Young's a really good bat. He's shooting, he shot, shot the shit and turned and looked dead in his face. 
I have a parallel, but I can't say it. I'll say it when I retire. Like this nigga, man. Yeah, but going back to Steph, like we asked him about his Sasha Fierce, and you know, he's so humble that I don't think I think he lives in it now. So when he's on a court, you know, he's yeah. tapped into Steph Curry, the basketball player, and off the court, you know, it's like he removes himself from that and he's, you know, he's just a naturally humble person. And I think he's so humble that, you know, his balance is to find his Sasha Fierce on the court. Yeah, he, that, that night he was super Sasha. And so it was beautiful to see. And he, and he was super Sasha. They, they put that battery in his back. Hey, boo, wifey the night before. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was and, wild. And he kind of booed him at the uh, lineups too when they was announcing. He was yeah. like, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, I did you. But like, if I was Steph, yeah. I'd be like, bro, y- y'all don't hate me, man. Y'all love me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's how he came off too. Yeah, just like, come on, man. Y'all love me, man. I'm Steph, bro. Point. Forward. We were speaking on black quarterbacks. Is that the position we're going to take? You know what I mean? Like, are we ever going to have a hold in that position? And Joe, Joe Burrow is holding us off. I agree with that, right? He's holding us off, right? He's doing his thing, right? He's going crazy. Uh, much respect to him. Um, but it looks like Mac McClung is trying to, to keep that white man can't jump narrative. He's invited to the dunk contest, but I don't think he's played an NBA game. And so it's the NBA dunk contest. Yeah. Because I like Mac McClung. He spent uh, preseason with us, got to know him. He's a, he's a very high volume um, with the ball guy. Like, he's a very no, – his, his, his per would be high with his, his – uh, what's it called? You get your volume touches. What's that shit? They call? Yeah, his usage rate. His usage rate. His usage rating, yeah. right. His usage rating is high. And so, you know, like we always talk about, like, you got to be very efficient with, with, with what you do on the court. Now, he may not be a starter anytime soon, so how does he break through with being a high usage rate guy? And he's so young and, and kind of being undersized, they would say. But he's got a crazy internet following. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We were talking about, you know, social media and uh, TikTok, Snapchat. All those things are, you know, affecting our sport and the art of our sport. And this is one of the examples. Because we were waiting for James White to get to the league for like 10 years there, yeah. weren't we? Or bro, or even DJ Stevens. If you get a chance, Google DJ Stevens. DJ Stevens jumping oh on a bench God. at Memphis. Just, 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 it's just a picture. All you need is a picture to see how high he jumps. You feel me? Keep going, DJ Stevens. But I'm, but I'm saying, like, we were waiting. Like my era, we were waiting on James White to get to the league. Like, please come on. Like, come on, James. Come on, James. We needed James White in the league. But by the time we got him, it was too late. You know yeah. what I mean? And he got in a dunk contest. But he had to be in the league to get in a dunk contest. Yeah, I don't. So I guess you know, uh, you know, the NBA was they wanted this to happen. They made it happen. Um, you know, I think for me, it's just a, it's really hard to get to the NBA. You know, it's a yeah. privilege to play in the NBA. You know, we always talk about that. The rookie transition program treat this craft like you know it's the greatest craft in the world. Treat treat the yeah. NBA with a preciousness, with a reverence, so on, so forth you know, the ultimate place to play basketball. And, like, we're not just letting anybody in. There's no favors. Yeah. Like, you got to get it through the mud. Like, you got to have everything. You can't, like, it was a point where you can't have no weaknesses to get in the NBA. Nah. And this is what I mean with the slippage. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, and it has nothing To me, it has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with race. It's the NBA dunk contest. I, I just, I thought there was credentials. Like, sorry, kid, you can't swim here. Yeah, that's it. I mean, and I keep saying it's not about race. And I'm talking about in terms of should he be a dunk contest for me? Like, I don't no, care but, who you are. If you're not in the league, you shouldn't be, be a race. But it sounds like it was made about race to me. That's what yeah, I'm but it, Yeah, and at the same time, what I'm saying as well, that's kind of crazy. Nobody's been screaming Matt McClung's names in years. 
Like nobody's been like, when we say internet sensation, maybe I'm wrong or whatever. And much respect for him. I think like his game has been taking now discussing like his actual skill set, at least from what I've been paying attention to, much more than him jumping. Because once you hit the league, it's a hundred short dudes that can do all the dunks that he can do. Uh, a six yeah. foot one point guard in the NBA is probably one of the most athletic people on earth. Yeah. So then when you add it up, it's like, why do you, why is he in a dunk contest when he's not in the NBA? Like, he's the media sensation. And then who likes him? Oh, oh our kid, uh, the person that works here, our kids, their kids, kids love him. He's a big media sensation. Relatability. Yeah, relatability. <laughs> bro. But at the end of the day, it's like, bro, he might, the motherfucker better win. How about that? You better win, dog. You know what I mean? Point forward. We speak a lot on, you know, different topics we like to touch on. We speak a lot about sports, but I want to take a moment to, you know, a moment of silence or condolences to the family of Tyree Nichols and, you know, the situation that happened in Memphis. You know, I think as an African-American who has an uh, African-American son, you know, when you see things like that, all you think about is your kids and, you know, kind of how we parent. It's very interesting how we go about life based upon the actions of the perception of how, how people see us. And uh, this was a sad situation to see. I think there's a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma. We speak of tra about trauma a lot here, especially being African-American and things we go through and see and how we how we just live life. And uh, it was really sad to see, especially coming from that happened to him by uh, people that look like him. Still sticking to my common sense that, you know, we all know where policing came from, you know, slave catchers. And so there's a lot of remnants in that system that still exists today. And I know we don't want to admit that, but that's the same. You know, I was just here. I was just listening to uh, most deaf speak on it. He's like, you know, I do love America. I do love America. But that doesn't mean I can't see the country for what it really is. And it, we still have a, we all, whatever you want to say, have, has a lot of work to do. That was very, 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 very sad situation to see. I just want to hear a response from the police officers and, and I just want to hear what exactly was going on in their minds. I'm really confused as a cop. Like I want to ask a cop, like as a cop, I know you're all aware that there's a body cam and maybe on and maybe off, but you know, there's so many ring cameras now and there's so many surveillance cameras everywhere like are y'all that bold i'm that's yeah. the part i'm confused on you know, like is it is it really mob action like that you know mob we're talking about mob ties and music <laughs> which is basically illegal um well the definition of mob activity or you know Alan iverson you know he almost got 15 years in jail they said it was mob activities right i was just watching that 30 for 30 it was on the other day and so just hearing the word mob uh, it's a, a illegal uh, governance, I guess you can say. And so to see that, you know, it is very saddening. Um, but it just shows to, you know, you know, we talk about FTX when we on um, Sam Bankman's. We, they've been on his ass crazy, right? Yeah. This is just this is just another level. <laughs> like this is this is this is another level in terms of what they did to this man. Like me watching it, it, it was very sad and. Um, I think the response from the uh, deputy, of, uh, the chief of police, uh, the female, I forgot her name, I'm sorry, but she did a, a, an amazing job of uh, speaking to the, the situation. And they all got charged, charged murder quickly, but uh, I'm currently in Minnesota right now. And, um, you know, so there's, there's, 
you know, there's trauma here from that situation. Um, but those police officers were fired immediately and charged with murder immediately. Yeah. And I think that has something to do with race as well. Whereas the situation here in Minneapolis, like he he was on paid leave and he was just able to go home and chill for a long time. And, and it was just, it took a while for for them to do the right thing. You know, it, 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 they weren't swift. They were like, okay, they were looking for some loopholes in there, you can tell. And so yeah. that's my I, piece on it. I think, go ahead, E.T. You know, I just need to add up with it. Obviously, we can turn it into like you know huge hypothetics, but I, I want to. I think turn it into a hypothetics adds a loophole to everything, and it, it further brings more and more conversation that doesn't need to be had. And the number one thing is what's wrong is wrong. You know what I'm saying? And um, as a cop, like nothing else matters besides serving and protecting. And you know, clearly, when somebody's in handcuffs, there's no reason for them to end up dead. And I, I think that's. The huge part of it, and um, it's sad that happened. It's sad that you know any, anybody not making it home to their family, to their child, or whatever else. I mean, it's just it's just an unfortunate situation. And and I think one thing that needs to come out more from it, besides us saying it, is you know sometimes what I want to hear is from you know you have your you have their backs, and the NBA does it sometimes too. But like police officers really stepping up and really saying and enforcing it themselves, and being like, yo, all this is wrong. There should be no situation where we're we're sitting here and an unarmed man that's locked, you know, that's handcuffed is getting his ass whooped to the point where he's dying. It's happening far too often. And all we're doing, nobody from the police department is really holding any type of accountability. We're just rolling with the motion and, and, and the flow until it happens the next time and the next time and the next time. That's all I got to say, bro. Y'all enjoy y'all weekend. Now let's get into our conversation. Our guest today is a fully decorated trendsetter, both on and off the field. And it's the first NFL guest on the Point Forward podcast. He is a Super Bowl champion, eight-time Pro Bowler, and member of the NFL 2010's All-Decade Team. Welcome to the podcast, Los Angeles native and one of the greatest linebackers of all time, Mr. Bobby Wagner. All right, so Bob, we're just going to jump in. You know, how, how did you get here? You know, just everything you've accomplished. Take us back to the beginning and uh, running it up to today. You know, how did you come to this point? Um, well, I started playing I started playing football in high school. Um, I, was, I was a big basketball guy, a big basketball fan. Uh, I saw, like, my family – um, really put in my my face, and so I really wanted to play basketball. But you know, as I got older, I wasn't getting as tall as I I thought I was gonna be. And you know, I had a coach come to me, and and you know, I'm shooting the gym, and you know, coach came to me and was just like, man, you know, if you really want to make it, you need to come play football. Like they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna get you to the next level. They're not gonna take you to college. And so, um, my football coach actually pulled me away from basketball to to uh, start playing and shoot, I started playing, fell in love with it. Um, because I got such a late start, I wasn't really highly recruited. So um, the only offer I had was at Utah State. And so um, I took that. I wasn't really going to take it, but my mom kind of forced me to take it and basically kind of told me I wasn't allowed home if I didn't take the scholarship. And so <laughs> um, I took that and kind of just ran with it, played well in Utah State. 
um, you know, had um, I got sick right before the combine, so I couldn't go to the combine. But um, the Seahawks took a chance on me, and kind of the rest is history. Played, I played there for ten years, and then laid one for one year, and here we are. Yeah, so you say you play uh, basketball before you play football. Do you think uh, hooping on the court kind of helped you transition so much easier to the football game? Yeah, definitely, because, like, um, you know, in basketball, especially for my position, like, it's a lot of shuffling. And so that's all I do is shuffle. And so um, really in the offseason, I like to incorporate, like, boxing and basketball as, like, my main workouts because I feel like it's just nothing nothing compares to, um, like, playing a basketball game because our – you know, our game is like we run fast for like seven seconds, eight yeah. seconds, whatever. Then we have a break and we do it again then have a break. But like like basketball is just constantly just up and down the court. And I'm just playing at like L.A. fitness or the recreation. But, I, you know, I went to a game one time with uh, with Jamal and just listening to him kind of break down the game. He's really good at that. It, it was just crazy. Like the, like what y'all think about it is like how fast the game is compared to what we do is, is nuts. So. You know, I like to to play basketball just to, to get in shape. I want I want to follow up on you know kind of your background and where you're from. You know, I know you're born in Inglewood, right? Mm-hmm. And but you grew up in Ontario. Uh, they yeah. call it the the Inland Empire, the IE, the IE. Yeah, and, I like uh, the IE. yeah, I like the IE. We had a we it's had underrated. A, the IE is underrated. underrated, man. It's, yeah. it's a lot more better than than what it was when I was growing up, but it's still underrated. Yeah, they got a they got a, a whole. Uh, arena there. We played a couple of preseason games there yep. against the Lakers, actually. They got a big Laker yeah. community there. I know Collison is uh, from there. And then I actually yep. saw you in a photo playing against Kawhi in high school. Yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, everyone talks about L.A. Um, I know you spoke about it as well in, in terms of, you know, uh, you know, the outreach or the access that LA kids get versus the IE and the, or lack thereof in the IE. And kind of just tell me, what you enjoyed about growing up uh, in IE and, and and what people don't know about it? Um, I just think it was different. Um, you know, I think uh, like the crazy part is like when I was growing up, everything was still being built. And so it was a lot of like farm, like a lot of like farmland being bought up. And so like our school was next to the farm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like kids be tripping. And so like, I guess they would during like, um, you know, we had little breaks and stuff. They would go over and they would tip the cows. <laughs> so I remember like I remember going to school one day and I remember the, the principal getting on um the intercom and saying like hey like the, we talked to the owner of the thing he said like if the next person that's caught trying to tip the cows over they gonna get shot and I was like <laughs> I was like they said this over the internet like, no, that's, that's valuable property you know what I mean? they could have emailed or, or told us something I'm like man gitch, that's kind of aggressive and so you know as kids like they gonna do it more if you're gonna talk like that so like that's the kind of stuff I remember I remember like um I remember like everybody that came from like different areas the first thing they they pointed out was the smell. They smell like cows because there's so many cows. But as like you grow up, those farms got bought up and then places start getting built. And so you had like that arena get built. You had like all these different things get built. And so um, it was a cool little energy, cool little vibe. Um, it was nice to get away from the city, nice to get away from like the LA life. So that's right. what we was trying to escape. And so, um, you know, I had a nice little upbringing. 
Yeah, I, I read something where you're talking about growing up in the IE and you use examples of like the Clippers or the Lakers. You kind of felt the way because they always had camps and free things, you know, in the L.A. area, in the L.A. County, but nowhere close to the IE. So talk about, you know, what motivated you to kind of get on. And, you know, I know you do a lot of philanthropic work in that area. Yeah, I felt some type of way because it was just like, um, you know, growing up, like we wasn't we wasn't as well off as, as people thought. Like we didn't have books. We didn't have like things that I felt like the inner city didn't have. And, you know, I always had like family, like a lot of my family still lived in 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 uh in Inglewood and places like that. And yeah. they will always talk about, you know, Lakers, Rams or uh, the Clippers hosting these events. And I just always felt some type of way because they never made their way to the IE. And so, you know, I had a couple of my friends that, you know, it was getting scouted and, you know, he ended up going to Arizona State. And then like we had another guy go to uh, UCLA and, and we kind of like just had like a pack. Like, all right, when, it, like, when we make it big that we're going to make sure that we come back to this area because it's an area that a lot of people don't think about. Even like, like scouts, like scouts wouldn't, scouts wouldn't come to the IE to yep. look at players. And so they created this, like um, this all-star game where it's like the city versus the IE or city yeah. versus. Yeah. Dre, you know, it's, it's kind of similar. They did it in Chicago, Chicago versus the suburbs. suburbs. You know, yeah. yeah. So we was like, all right, let, let's, let's go down there and show them like we play ball down here too. And so, um, you know, I think the more people like got exposed to, the more people like showed out, more people started to come. And, and I think it's a different, different vibe now for sure. But so, so let's just talk about kind of like who you are, you know, um, most folks know, for folks that don't know, you know, you were named uh, the 2010s, you know, all defensive, like all defensive, all football team, you know, mm -hmm. not just for your team, but the entire NFL, you know, uh, eight time pro bowler, you know, uh, first team all defense. What was it? Five times, you know, uh, second team. Captain of the league. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And it was, you know, the Legion of Boom, you know, the captain of that, you know, I spent some times with a few of your former teammates, you know, Richard Sherman going mm -hmm. to Stanford and, and obviously, um, Marshawn almost killed me because I hit too many home runs in a softball game and he was a pitcher. <laughs> I believe and so it. <laughs> he picked me up, put me over his shoulder. I was in my contract year. That's crazy. And, and cats were like, yo, put him down. Put him down. That's but it crazy. was it was That's all Marshawn, up. Though. And his mom is such a beautiful person. Mm -hmm. Um, just what he does for Oakland. But you know, it's kind of like the Steelers had the steel curtain, uh, or you got, you know, the Detroit Pistons and their defense and just different eras of different sports where there was uh they made a name for themselves that stood the test of time. And mm -hmm. you, your team was able to do that. And so, you know, just being a leader of all that kind of talk to me about, or tell us about where all that came from. Like, you know, when did you know that you had something special? You know, what did you do? Uh, to kind of hone your leadership skills, your football skills, you know, uh, who helped you throughout that process, you know, especially coming from a small school like Utah State. Did you always envision this for yourself? Um, I think I had an idea of like what I wanted to be. Obviously, like, you know, there's certain things when you come into the league, you don't know. Like so watching like growing up, I watched like all star games. I watched the Pro Bowl. And so I wanted to get that. And then when I got into the league, you know, I, I learned about all pro and I was like, oh, what's that? That's the best of the best. Like there's Pro Bowl, that's like fans, you know what I'm saying? That's like more of a popularity contest. But then like there's like all pro where it's like, you know, regardless, regardless of your division, like you're that guy. And so, you know, I think you start striving for that. And, you know, I think like for us, it was just 
Um, I think it was just a perfect storm, to be honest, because we came in around the same time. We were all the same age. And so we just hung out. And so it was like college. Like when I got when I got to the league, I think I was like 21. Sherm was like 22, 23. Cam was 22, 23. Like everybody was too, like around that age. And so we just did what we did in college. Like after we got done practicing, we went out and ate. And so our bond just like was a lot different because a lot of the, the league was still like older. It was like, you know, you had some younger guys, but you had some older guys. But our team was made up of like a lot of just younger guys. We had a couple older guys, um, but that was pretty much it. And so we just bonded together. And then that first year we um, we lost to uh, Atlanta, but like we felt like we really could have beat anybody. Like we, we lost to Atlanta and then they lost to, I think, the 49ers. And we had beat the 49ers. So we was like, dang, like we could have easily been in the Super Bowl. And so we all just like made a pact that we was going, like wherever we went, we was going to work harder. And so we started working out together. Like everybody had events like over the city. Like like Cam had an event in his hometown. Sharon had an event in his hometown. So we made an effort to like go and be at each other's events. And we just started building this, like this bond that just was unbreakable. So when we got on the field, it was just like free. Like we had plays that we would run and we would practice, but we would also like be out there and be like, ah, we're going to try this. And but we had so much trust in each other. Yeah. And we just like, all right, we're going to try this on the field. And we would make up stuff, but we was all connected. We moved as a string. And so it just made us like, it's made us just like unstoppable. And as far as like the leadership thing, like I, I was lucky to be around like guys like Cam, guys like Marshawn, guys like Sherm. Um, but at the same time, you had to find your own way. And so I really just started to look at like people I looked up to. And so mm-hmm. I looked up to, I liked how Obama spoke. Um, I liked Ray Lewis. I like how Kendrick like delivered messages. I like how Nipsey delivered messages. So I just started studying those guys and study how they talk and then try to like, uh, like mold it in a way that fit me. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of how like my leadership kind of came about. Cause like, I'm not, I'm not like Ray Lewis when it comes to like the whole like get in front of your face, be all vocal. I can do that, but I I pick my my spots. Right. But like I feel like the way I do it is like really having an intimate relationship with like pretty much everybody, like and and talking to them individually. And then you know when I speak up, I, I make sure like it count. Like I don't just talk just to talk, but I talk and make it count. And so, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to learn from different people. I've been fortunate enough to come up in an era where you know we got some great leaders and a lot of it is just learning well i want to i want to i want to touch on that before you know it slips my mind you spoke on you know a couple gentlemen that are you know leaders of their generations in terms of the way they conduct themselves their values the way they speak you know you spoke about obama you know you spoke about kendrick lamar you know, obviously these great voices of our generation and you're known as a high IQ guy. And we really hear a lot about high IQ in football from really one position, which is the quarterback's position, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, tell us what makes a high IQ guy on the defensive side, especially being a linebacker, like, you know, like, you know, Evan and I respect it, uh, you know, times a trillion because we understand like, you know, we wouldn't cut out for that. But being a linebacker, you know, kind of walk us through what that embodies and what defines a a great linebacker, not just with tackling or what people may see, but what goes beyond that. 
I think as far as especially like the middle linebacker position, I feel like um, the re- it's it's considered the quarterback of the defense, and mm-hmm. so you got to literally know every single thing that's going on in front of you and going on behind you, and you got to be able to control that. And you know, I think for a long time, like I think for a long time, like, I think people just assumed that we wasn't smart or didn't have that capability. But I feel like with defenses nowadays, it's like Offenses are so complex now that, you know, the minute a guy moves, you almost can change the defense. And you need somebody in the middle of that defense to be able to articulate that to everybody. And so, you know, there's so many things that you think about before a snap. I don't think people realize that from any Mm -hmm. position, whether you're a corner, whether you're a safety, whether you're a D lineman, like before the ball is snapped, you probably get like 20 to 30 tips before the play even snap and that's one Damn. play we probably got like like 20 like the basic ones is like the basic ones that you think about is like if you watch a receiver um and this is like that's like high school stuff but like right like when you watch a receiver um most of the receivers in high school or most receivers like still some of them still do it to this day like when they get in the ball they tighten their gloves when they're not getting the ball <laughs> they don't fix their gloves so like if you look at a receiver and he not fixing his gloves or playing with his gloves, you like, oh, this is a run play because he's not, you know what I'm saying, he's not worried about catching the ball. But then, you know, he's over here tightening his up his, his thing. You're like, oh, like, this is a pass play. That's like the simple basic one. Like, you can see the the pressure in the, in the lineman's hands, like whether he got to go backwards or forwards. Like, there's so many different, like, tips that you could pick up on if you really study the game. And I think that's what's, like, made my game – um, and allow me to play so long. Um, you know, I've, like I said, I've been fortunate enough to to be able to contact guys like Ray Lewis, uh, London Fletcher, mm-hmm. um, so many different people that I was able to play for a long, long time at a high level and being able to learn from those guys um, and, and talking to them and, and seeing how all the things that they look at before play, how they watch film. Um, it's, it's a crazy, crazy thing that I think nobody knows. Like the amount of work that goes into like our game is it's crazy because we practice crazy. Like practice is almost like worse than games, to be honest. Like we just want to get to the game. And the game is slower than practice because like our coaches try to make practice as hard as it can so that when you get to the game, it's nothing. Yep. And so, um, yeah, man, I think that's what makes a good linebacker. Obviously, you want to tackle. Nowadays, like back in the day, I feel like linebackers weigh like 260. That's not going to happen no more because like the, the running backs is just too fast and too mm-hmm. – um, you know, too great now. So, like, you know, you're seeing more guys around, like, like between 220, 240. You got to be able mm-hmm. to to cover guys downfield. You got to be able to take on guys like um, like 320. You know, you got a guy like Trent Williams coming to get you. You got to be able yeah. to get off that block. It's my guy. You know so there's so many different things, so many different elements I feel like that, that come in part of this game that people don't know about. Beautiful. I'm wondering when you walked into Utah State, leaving a you know the state of California, how much of a culture shock was it? And um, you know, and how confident were you walking in? Because just a year and a half prior, you were you know a, a basketball player, and then you switched your tight end, and then inevitably go play at a high Division One school. Where did you ever have the the, the thoughts of the NFL inside, or were you just like, let me make the most of it? Nah, I mean, like, I think originally I just wanted to get to college. I wanted my college to be paid for. And I wanted to, like, you know, keep this football thing going. And so it was funny because, like, when I went out there um, for my visit, like, it was 
snow. Like it was snowing. And I didn't I had never seen snow before in my life. And so, you know, in the cartoons, like you walk on the snow. And so that's all I seen, just cartoons. Yeah. And so I try to step on the snow and I fell right through the snow. I didn't, you know what I'm saying? Like I didn't, I thought you just walk on the snow, like snow. So I fell right through and I just looked like, I'm not going to school. Like, there's no way. And so like, you know, we went sledding and everything was fun. So I just remember like I going into the thing, um, the coach at the time offered me a scholarship and he like stepped up the room and I just told my mom like, yeah, I'm not, I'd rather go to JC and take my chances. And she was just like, nah, like you going to, either take the scholarship or you're not going to get on that plane back home and you're going to figure out how to enjoy the snow. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to take it, but I'm going to decommit when something better comes. Yeah. And, you know, I end up, you know, going, I think it ended up being the best thing for me because like a lot of things that I didn't realize was like Utah, because of their religion, um, a lot of the, 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 um, the student athletes, sometimes they go away for they, they, um, then they call it a mission. They go away for yeah, a mission. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, like, two yeah. years, three years. Yeah, so, like, the BYU players to, do it, yeah. For sure. And so, yes. when I got to, when I started playing, I'm 18, like, 17, 18 years old, and I'm playing against 21-year-olds because mm, they freshmen at 21. Yeah. So, like, some of the junior seniors are, like, 24, 25. And so, I'm actually playing against older people. And so, I feel like it kind of, made my like made me um grow up a lot faster mm. i had to get a lot stronger because like mm. kind of almost playing against grown men already. Yeah. um you know yeah. regardless of you know how how talented they were like these are like grown men some of them had multiple kids at at 20 you know and so you know i think it definitely helped me and you know as i you know play at utah state i'm looking around i see you know um we had a safety and a like a punt returner get a shot. And I was like, all right, well, I just need a shot. Like I don't really care if I get drafted. If I get a shot, I know I can can prove myself. And as I kept playing throughout my years, I'm like, all right, like I can get drafted. I think I can get drafted. And you know, I had a good junior year and a good senior year. And then it was it was a wrap after that. So is that where, obviously, I don't know, many people know that you're your own sports agent. Where did that derive from? Like, what gave you the confidence to do so? And in 2019, you negotiated the highest, you know, contra contract for a linebacker ever. So what, is that where it derived from? Like the school, Utah State, those type of, those type of situations? Or did you always have a plan? Um, I don't think I always had that plan. I just think I was... Like I'm always aware and I'm a conscious person. And so I'm always paying attention to stuff around me. And so when I got into the league, I think that was the year that it came out. If it didn't come out, it re came out that um, uh, football players, 80% uh, of them or like 79% of them end up uh, broken, divorced two years out of the league. And so mm -hmm. when I heard that, I was like, all right, that's interesting. And so you know, I was like, let me sit back and just pay attention. And so I'm in the locker room. And as I'm in the locker room, I'm really looking around. I'm seeing I would say pretty much like 80% of players had the same agent. 80% of the players probably had the same financial advisor. And so I just started to do different and I just started to try to be different. And so like when everybody else was like, like resting in the off season or like going to the club in the off season, granted I did it my first year, but I, after yeah. that I started going to, um, I started to see if I could do like internships. So I did yeah. like internships with like, Starbucks, Microsoft, uh, start meeting people. And then 
I started to get away from the traditional um, like financial management. And so I went with somebody, and I kid you not, when I went with this guy, his name's Humble, um, he was the only person to this day, he's the only person that I got calls from that was telling me I made the wrong decision. And I was like, that's weird. Like, you know, he's a black financial advisor. So there's obviously something there with that. But it was just weird that like I even had like my family hit me up like, yo, you're making a terrible decision. But at that time I had let go multiple agents, multiple financial advisors. I never got a call. And so mm -hmm. for me, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm doing something right. And then, you know, when I started exploring like business, I was like, man, I wanted to figure out like, how can I show the business world that I can handle business but still like not um, stray too far away from like the main thing, which was, you know, my profession. So, you know, Sherm had did it the year before. Um, Russell Okun had did it the year before, but they were both coming off the of injuries. And so um, there's, their deals were like highly criticized when they, when they did it. And I was coming off like a fresh season, like fully healthy, all pro year. And I'm like, all right, let me take a crack at it. Let me show yeah. like, when you come off a good season at a high level, you can negotiate your own deal. And so I did that with the hope that it would project me to like what I want to do, like life after football. And that sounds similar to what Lamar Jackson um, is, is, is facing right now, especially with, you know, uh, you've seen a lot of the quarterbacks starting to get all guaranteed money. Mm -hmm. And then now you're starting to see that trickle down. Uh, more guaranteed money going into other positions. And so now I want to transition into business side of things. You know, you're known for what you've been doing in the uh, venture capital space, you know, investing in startup companies. Um, you spoke about your internships. Um, where did that start? And and then also we've spoken to um, Steve Ballmer, um, you know, from Microsoft, owner mm -hmm. of the Los Angeles Clippers, um, you know, one of the most wealthy individuals in, in the world. Um, how that relationship came about as well. Yeah, so it started, um, it, funny enough, it, it started, uh, I walked in the locker room one day and um, Sherm and Doug Baldwin had just got back from, they had just got back from this like Stanford seminar thing or something where it was like a bunch of just alumni and they, it was a bunch of people making all these different connections and they were just talking about how great it was. And I was like, man, like Utah state has to have some type of connections. Like they got to have something. And so I remember there was a guy named Charlie Denson who, who um, he was the president of Nike at the time mm -hmm. and he went to Utah state. And mm -hmm. so he was, I forgot where we were before, but he made us Nike, a Nike school. And mm -hmm. so I was like, let me reach out to him. And so, so I tried to get his number. I was having a hard time. And at some point I got his number. I just cold called him. And, you know, this is my first year. Remember my first or second year in the league. And I just cold called him. And he answered. And I just told him who I was. He knew who I was because of Utah State. And because I was in Seattle, he was living in Portland. Mm -hmm. And so I basically was just like, man, you know, I'm new to Seattle. Um, I would love to, you know, pick your brain off of, like, about, like, business stuff or just, like, come down. He's like, yeah, if you're ever in Portland, you know, let me know. I was like, well, when are you in like Portland? He's like, I'm here all the time. He's like, I'm actually here this weekend, you know, if you're going to be here. And so I was like, yeah, I'll be there. And so I just drove to Portland um, and I met up with him. We had a great conversation. And then he introduced me to 
this guy named John Connors, who was the former um, CFO mm. at Microsoft. Yeah. And so I got to, you know, establish that relationship with him. And then he started, you know, like always asking me like what I wanted to do life at the football. And I just thought it was crazy because I'm sitting here in like year one, year two. I'm like, I just need to focus on football now. Like I'm not focused on my life yet. Because that's, that's what they tell us. That's what they tell us. And so right. he was like, no, nah, like you need to have a plan. And so he would like, we would go to these lunches and he was always asking. And so he started connecting me with people. Um, and I got connected through, I got connected through Steve Ballmer, through him, I believe, and Amy Hood. And the funny story with Amy Hood is I didn't know exactly who she was. Like I went to, I went to this Microsoft event or Microsoft, um, internship and you know we're all in this little we're all in this um kind of like this cafeteria area and we just kind of like just it's like maybe like 20 players and we're just all talking and so this lady comes she sits down next to me and I'm having this amazing conversation we were talking to her for like I was talking to her for like 20 minutes and we just talking about all type of stuff and she was just like what are you guys waiting for and I was like uh, we're waiting for the the CFO to come down and, and start this thing up she's like oh and so she just stands up and she's like, hey, everybody. I'm... <laughs> so I had been talking to her for like probably like 20, 30 minutes and had no idea. And so, you know, that's kind of how our relationship formed. And we just became like great friends. She became like a great mentor of mine. And between those two, I got introduced to Steve. And I was just like, man, I just want a pers- like a different perspective. I was going through my contract negotiations. And I was like, I, I got agent perspective. I got GM's perspectives. And I'm like, I want to know. Like the person that make the decisions, like what are y'all looking for? And what are y'all like what are some of the things that people do right and what are some of the things that people do wrong? And you know, he was gracious enough to give me his time and he became a mentor of mine as well. And so I just started making these mentors and start having these people who were generous with to give me a time. And um that's kind of how it all just came about. Yeah, that's what's up. And man, it's crazy, you know, this conversation, how it's been running and ET and I you know, where, where, you know, ET's fresh into retirement and I'm on like the doorstep. Like I'm, I'm, I'm turning that knob. I'm walking into it. I'm mm-hmm. actually looking forward to it. Um, but then I'm also reading about, you know, how the Rams have started to help you, you know, go into, uh, you know, that leadership role in, in, in being a GM or being, mm-hmm. you know, uh, high in the C-suites uh, and then the possible ownership. You know, I was just, uh, I'm listening to this dope podcast uh, called Acquired. And whenever they focus on um, sports leagues, uh, tap in. You know, they had one on the PGA. I'm a big golfer. They had one on NBA a couple of years ago, but they just dropped like a three and a half hour mm. pod on the NFL. Amazing. And so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely getting to you because we could talk all day because I've been doing yeah. a bunch of internships. Uh, ET and I, we started the, uh, this whole podcast network. We're doing a bunch of things. And my last question, we're going to get there later, but I want to know why basketball players and football players, we, we need to do more stuff together. Because like now, like now my the brain's just working, you know, and we've always had that weird energy and I don't know where that came from. I and it's, I, I hate it. Where I it came it. from? What's your perspective? What's my perspective? I, I'll say it like this. I feel like the game is two different games. Uh, we act how we play, and this would be outside looking in. I feel like a, a football player is more physical, more aggressive mentality. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you switch to basketball, we're more not as aggressive. You can call us soft to a certain extent, but our approach and everything is smooth and sometimes more delicate. And then when you throw women in the mix, the man, root of all the problems. It, start, it starts in college, <laughs> and then after that, it's like, hey, bro, you know what? I'm just about done. I'm, 
I'm just about done messing with y'all. Chief. Dude, too big. Dude, too big. And, and like, he got an attitude problem. I'm being sick of him thinking I'm soft. Like, That's exactly where I think it stems from, bro. Yeah. Like, college I for feel sure. Like it stems from like either college or high school. It don't matter. Like, yeah. Less high school because like you play both, or you could do both, or you can, right. But it's like I feel like it's a competition on who's gonna get the girls, and it's like. Yeah. Do I want the football player? Do I want the, the the basketball player? And then it's like, all right, now it creates this like beef between one another because like we got in competition on trying to figure out how we, you know, how we got to do this, how we got to do that, and then you know what I mean. And y'all y'all more notable noticeable than we are, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because so, the helmet, because the helmet getting your way. You know what I mean? And so yeah. now it's that's that's the, I feel like the league competition. Like guys are like, like especially NFL players whether it's like basketball players and rappers, is like we feel like we the least seen. So like you got guys go to the club and you got that table popping bottles, they know who that person is. That rapper popping bottles, they know who that person is. And you got this guy popping bottles and you don't know who he is. You, I mean, he got money, but you don't know who he is because you can't <laughs> tell by his face. You got to put his name up. So he got to do little sparklers with his name. Like, oh, I do recognize that name. You know what I'm saying? So I, I feel like that. Like, but we gotta squash that. We gotta let it. Oh out. man, it's it's. I, I I hate it. Like I really hate it because you know guys like yourself, you know guys like me. There's so many guys that need to cross paths, even yeah. on both ends. Even like you got some football players who are in the music. You got a lot of basketball players who are in the music. Exactly. Like we gotta put our money together. Like that's real yeah. group economics. And so when I speak on that, you know, I'm talking about you know um, the business side of things. You know, I know you possibly. You know, there's 70 percent of the NFL is African-American, but we only got two head African-American coaches at the time, and we have zero ownership in NFL at the time. In basketball, the numbers are very similar. We got half and half on the coaches' side, but we only have one owner, uh, and, and that's African-American in basketball. And so just kind of talk to me on your thoughts of, you know, just the system of uh, not just professional sports, but most specific in football, uh, like one with guaranteed contracts and your thoughts on that, especially with some injuries we've had of late and just, you know, how do we get more um, involved on the ownership side? Yeah, I think so. I think the NBA is way further along, in my opinion, than um than basketball is, I mean, that football is uh, from the ownership perspective. I think that the the openness to it being possible is just more. Um, NFL is still kind of behind in that. But, you know, they're starting to make their strides. You know, you got, you know, a couple more GMs being, um, a couple more GMs being, being black and people of color or even women at that point, for yep. that instance. Um, you know, I think the Raiders have one now, Broncos. Um, the Titans just hired one. So they're, they're making strides from that perspective. But I think the thing too is like, you know, we just got to be more exposed to the opportunity. Um, I just feel like we just got to be more conscious of it. We got to be more aware of it, more opportunities. Like we got to have people have more opportunities uh, to want to put them in that role because I feel like they they have the ability to do that. They're just not getting the, the opportunity. And so we've seen the opportunities happen. Now that like the people are getting these opportunities, we got to make sure that we do something with those opportunities. Got to make sure we turn them into something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? I think it's kind of like the same thing with the contracts. I feel like like nothing stops players from getting the contract. But I think like the system is just like there's this system where you got to break it. Like you got to break that system. Like we've seen like Kirk Cousins get a contract. We see like um, uh, Watson get a, a guarantee. Tannehill. 
Tannehill, like we've seen people get contracts. You just have to Bradford. Like, you gotta want it. You gotta want and but like you have to sacrifice too. Like yeah. you know, Lamar Jackson situation, like, you know, they franchise tag him twice. He's gonna be in the same situation as yes, um, as Kirk Cousins. And so he might be in a position to want to take that that chance. Most people don't want to take that chance. Most people are not saving enough. Most people are not prepared to do that or have the, the guts to do that. And so if he does that while negotiating the, the deal for himself, the door that he opening up for the people that's following him is going to be crazy. But, you know, we need more people like that because, like, I don't understand the criticism or, like, even the thought process to why, like, the Ravens wouldn't pay Lamar Jackson. Like, you're not going to find another one. And my man got an MVP, like, who yeah. has that credibility yeah. to a contract? <laughs> you know, he did team. everything he needed to do. Like, if he was a different quarterback, like, he'd be, he been paid. But yeah. he's he's a different quarterback. He's not your traditional suit and tie type of guy. He's He is himself. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the reason why it's the holdup or not. But I think, you know, I think – I mean, from what I heard or like things like that, what I think he should do it, I think he should get a guaranteed contract, like fully guaranteed contract. Like, why not? And so, um, you know, I think he's got to fight for it. Yeah. What do you think? You think that's obviously the guy looks like me, or you do a example of a Lamar Jackson compared to how he's kind of similar to the kind of hate or criticism sometimes Cam Newton got. But then you get like the underdogs who are so, you know, so often beloved, like Russell Wilson. You know what I mean? Do you yeah. think sometimes there's a there's a door that's open for others if you know you play the game a certain type of way? Uh I don't know if it's play a game a certain type of way. Honestly, I think it's control. It's like I don't think you you look at Lamar Jackson and you like you can't control him. He's gonna mm. beat him. You know, you look at a guy like Cam Newton, like you can't control him. Even like I remember. I remember it was before our game, I believe. Like, he was doing all the crazy dressing and all these different things. And so, you know, the coach tried to say, all right, everybody got to wear a suit. And he came out and wore a suit, but he had the hat on. and had, yeah. the, You know, and so I think they benched him for, like, the first half or something. Like, or like didn't let him start the game. Like, benched him for the first series. And so sometimes it's that. Sometimes you're just like, you know, you can't control that guy. And, you know, sometimes people like people that can be controlled, even like Marshawn for a long yeah. time. Marshawn got a lot of criticism. But at the same time, it's like I don't think people realize how smart Marshawn was. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like people don't see the stuff that we saw. Like we see the outside stuff. But like, you know, there'll be times I come into the locker room, my man reading a book, like a thick book, like a like Harry Potter size book, but on finances and 401ks and things right. like that and and like bringing everybody in like hey come sit down man you know about your 401k did you maximize your 401k hey this is why you should do that and so that's why i said like i was lucky to be in the, the building with guys like that like you know so it, it really opened my door like if i look at the if i look at the group that that we was in it's like everybody's doing crazy work um philanthropically yeah. um i think michael bennett uh wrote mm-hmm. A best-selling book. Yep. Um, Sherm did his own contract. Yeah, you yeah. know, like I did my own contract. Marshawn is like building all type of stuff in Oakland. You yes. know what I'm saying? And, and getting back it. to the community and so many different things. And so, you know, I got exposed to 
touched so many different things. And so I think that that played a part in it too. I, I was exposed to a lot of guys that just thought different. A lot of guys that that didn't accept the norm and was willing to challenge the status quo. Right. And if you wasn't willing to establish, like challenge the status quo, you kind of stuck out. Yeah. And so you either got with it or, you know, you wasn't there. And that's why the Pimp a Butterfly might be top two, maybe number one favorite of all time. And, you know, I say this a lot and I know I get the, you know, E.T., he remembers when Elton Brand would call me Malcolm, you know, when I would go into that mode when I was in Philly. And I always tell folks who who work in the sports space, you know, it's like I said, 70, 60, 70 percent of us in, in all the major sports, the two major sports, football is the most popular sport in America. But then basketball is right behind it. And it's all African-Americans. And we work with people, you know, such as the trainers or, you know, uh, physicians or uh, strength guys, or even your uh, mental health experts. It was like, if you don't understand our culture, it's much harder for you to, to relate to us. So go listen to our music, go watch our movies. And I always tell them like, you know, I, I made one trainer. I just made her go watch, uh, coming to America. <laughs> she never seen coming to <laughs> America. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's the easy yeah. one, but to like to pimp a butterfly, go listen to our music and go understand it. But you know, like the situation we got down in Florida, they trying to erase our history from us. And so mm-hmm. it's just a constant fight uh, that we're having. Uh, but, and then that's even translates into kind of, you know, you working with uh, next play ventures, correct? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a VC firm. So you invest in startup companies and, you know, uh, is, is that an avenue you want to take or you ha- you took it, obviously. Um, just kind of tell us where you want to go with that. Yeah. So I think the goal is to uh, my goal is to have my own um, my own uh, VC and my own fund. And I think the biggest thing that, you know, again, you try to break down all the excuses that they try to use to, to not allow you in the space. Yep. And so, you know, one of the excuses is like, oh, man, you know, you've been an athlete all your life, so you don't know nothing about investing. So I've been doing that. And so whenever I retire, that's, that's not something they can say. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I loved about Nextplay, because I've been I've been involved with Nextplay for a long time. They actually um, they actually were the first ones like taking you on know, like one of those tours where you go around and you see different companies and things of that nature. They they told me what a DC firm was. I had no idea what that was. Right. And, you know, uh, my main connection there is Ryan Neese. And I thought it was dope because he was like a guy that I, I looked to because he played in the league, had a dad in the league, played in the league. And then he transitioned to the VC firm, the VC mm-hmm. world. But now he was he with them. He like partnered with like the Sequoias, with the Andreessen's, yep. with yep. all the big time people. And I was like, man, like this is this is dope that he's doing this. And I'm like, I want to be like that. And so that's kind of what started it. You know, I started doing that. So I started doing a little bit of investing. Like my first ever investment um was actually like a funny one. It was I was at this event uh that the Seahawks put together and we had like this panel of just different. We had a guy that was from a VC firm. We had a couple of guys that like sold a company and we had like a, I think a former football player that had some wine that he was selling. And, you know, I go off into the back and I'm, um, I'm like getting chips or something, right? You know, getting some food or some right. drink or whatever. And there's this guy in the back, um, his name's Bob. And he just started talking to me. He's just like, man, why are you guys here? Like, man, we're trying to learn. Like, what do you mean? Like, like he just came off real aggressive. And so, right. You know what I mean? Like, why are you guys here? I'm like, man, you know, I'm trying to learn. Like, what you mean? And he starts showing me like the black cards, show me like, man, y'all not going. And I'm just like, man, who is this guy? 
Like, and he's like, man, y'all not gonna learn like this. What do you mean? Like, like he's like, there's so many different books you can read. There's so many different people you can listen to. Like, that's not enough. Like, y'all have to do it. You gotta, yeah. you gotta go out and do it. You yeah. gotta succeed and you gotta fail. You gotta learn from your failures and you gotta figure out what you do right um, from your successes. And you just gotta keep doing that. And when you hone that in, you figure out what you like, you figure out what you don't like, you figure out, like, it's like football. Like, you figure out, you know, the tendencies, what's good, what's bad, and you move yep. towards them. Yep. And I'm like, dang, like, this dude is, is like, super smart. Like, I just randomly went to the back right. for the thing <laughs> this time. And so he was like, you know, I got a proposition for you. And so, you know, he basically like, I got this investment. I'll let you put some money into this investment. And it's a win-win for you. He's like, and you'll learn and you'll ever. So he was like, you put some money in. He's like, if you win, you keep, you keep what you want. He's like, if you lose, I'll give it back to you, but you have to give it to charity. Mm, mm. And I was just like, all right, I can't, I, you know, that's a great deal to me. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I did it and the company ended up doing really well. And, you know, I was forever grateful for him even to one, have the conversations with me and two, to let me into that deal. And then it was just like a cycle from yep. that, like being able to like be a part of the different deals. Cause a lot of a lot of getting into certain deals is just your relationships. And so I started trying to build like relationships, build relationships with people and just be in those rooms that athletes typically don't care to be in. Right. So when we say guns and butter, most people think of the macroeconomic principle, but it's actually a scene from the movie Baby Boy. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the Okay, yeah. Guns and butter, motherfucker. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he, you know, he's discussing like the micro decisions that you make that turn out in the end to pay, you know, huge dividends. And you told us your whole story. What do you think was, you know, one micro decision that really made Bobby Wagner who he is today? Wow. Um, I would say, I would say two moments. Um, one would be the moment, uh, the decision to go to Utah State. Um, like, me going against me going with what my like trusting what my mom was telling me and going there um because i feel like it like a lot of the stuff that i got started came from that relationship that i found at utah state and so if i had not if i hadn't done that then i don't know if i would have made that call to him and he would have accepted the call yeah, I would say that's one. Yeah, and I would say the other one would be um, probably like my third year, or my second or third year, where I made a decision to stop, like, like going to the club like everybody else, and stop yeah. getting out. Like you know, everybody like because I was in LA, so you know, LA is a club every day, but Wednesday, yeah. day parties, so, everything. You know what I mean? And so I was doing all that, and yeah. I was like, you know yeah. what? Like I'm not spending my time right. Like football is a little bit different. I think like the reason why I love football so much is like we play from August to February if you're lucky. And then you have from February to pretty much June-ish to do other things. Now, working out, you know, even if you Aaron Donald, you only working out three, four hours a day. And there's so many, so much more time to spend. And so I, I made a decision to start like 
seeing how many companies can I visit in that six months period before we had to start back up. And I think that um, that kind of pushed a lot of the stuff forward as well. And one last question. I kind of want to answer because uh, one thing that Dre says that's kind of crazy, no matter how great the team is, he, he's always like winning a championship is super hard. So like playing versus the Warriors, I'm like, it couldn't be that tough because this is the toughest team I ever played versus. Right. So, I, you know, can you give us insight to like what it's like to, you know, climb the mountain and, and win a Super Bowl championship? Especially in football, which is probably the hardest. You, you yeah, know, you got ain't no series. You got one chance. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy, actually, because, you know, I went to the Super Bowl my second and third year. And so, like that first year, we thought we could make it. And we got close, but we, we lost. We still needed some, you know, we needed to mature a little bit. That second year we went and we won it. And then now you're hearing, oh, y'all never get back. Y'all never get back. Y'all never get back. And then we get back and then everybody knows we don't hand the ball off. And, you know, that's right. that's that. I, I, like, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I knew you were going to do it. Because I got to know. I think you pissed off. Like, yeah. you pissed yeah. off. Like, you mad. But at the same time, like I'll give you my real honest answer. Like my real honest answer was like it really it just happened because if y'all look back and it's crazy enough, y'all look back because like so we all mad and I remember the next day, you know, we got to do the exit meeting, right? And so uh, Pete kind of give us like his reasoning for that play call, and you know, guys kind of like walk out, like guys, you know, everybody's just pissed off. Like there's no way, you know, because we still like the like, we lost like yesterday. Right. But we're still mad. Like it, it took a long time for everybody to get over that. I still feel like there's some people that's not over that. Yeah, bro. I lost Man. I lost like 20,000 better money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it always comes to that. It always comes back to that. We so like we so pissed off. We so mad. But like I always have like this crazy perspective. Like he's not when he explained the story, he's not wrong. And so we go back and y'all can look it up. So it's a, I believe it's the Arizona game. We in Arizona. Marshawn does his crazy run, gets mm-hmm. all the way down to like the two yard line or something like that. And um, the next play, everybody knows, like, you know, Marshawn got us down there, let him get the first opportunity to, to get us into the, the thing. So um, we passed the ball, but this time we scored a touchdown on this one. But if you look at the huddle, because I believe it was on TV, if you look at the huddle and you watch, you watch the huddle, you watch Russ tell the play, and you watch the play disperse. You could see Marshawn look at the sideline, pissed off, and he flips the sign, like flips the sideline off, like during the play. And the only reason why everybody picked it up was because I think it was a national game, but like it was a game where like it was being televised. So you had the 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 score right above. So if you look at the score, Marshawn's right above the scoreboard, and you just see his body turn towards the sideline and like flip the sideline off. And you like, damn, like that that scenario happened during the season, but like, you know, we scored a touchdown on the play. Yeah. And so we tried it again and it didn't work out that way this time. And so, you know, he was mad then, mad. At that point, I mean, everybody was pretty much mad. You, I mean, I think if you look at Sherm's face on um, what happened, he's pretty much all of us. And uh, or with the nose, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It just—it took us so long to get over that, bro. Like it took—it's a legacy thing, bro. Like, yeah, because like we really could have had two. We should have had two yeah. Super Bowls. Now you're thinking about could we have gotten to that third one? 
You know what I mean? Like, because you probably have more guys wanting to come back because mm-hmm. you want 3P. Now, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? It's You never know what'll happen. But, you know, you, you think about it. Every time somebody, uh, you know, especially from Seattle and every time somebody asks you about Super Bowl, they'd be like, do you think they should have gave it to Marshawn? Yes. Like, yes. It's, it's been a decade. Yes. Right. The answer hasn't changed yet. And my so, man, yeah. what, my my man White Jerry was in there too. Uh, Jerry, uh, the acupuncturist trainer. Oh yeah, he worked yeah, for y'all. Yeah, yeah, so he, yeah. he came and worked for us like two. Uh, he, he he worked for us like two thousand eighteen ish, nineteen ish. So we used to have those conversations all the time. And nah, for sure. Yeah, that's I, my guy. I, I remember him. He was great, man. He was Good dude. He he said he he went and worked with y'all because we was a. Uh, you know what I'm saying? He wasn't winning championships, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Don't watch a game with him. He's crazy. I bet. When coach is giving this explanation with somebody like, bro, I'm not trying to hear that shit. Like, did the people go, like, was it crazy or was it folks like, all right. I don't think it was, I think it was more body language like that. Like, yeah, I'm not trying to hear that. You know, a couple guys walked out. Yeah. <laughs> like, we just wasn't trying to hear it. But, but I just think it was just crazy. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people think like that's what, what broke us up, but it was just so much stuff that led up to that moment. But that was like the, that was like the the end. Like right. we literally right here about to beat Tom Brady and this unstoppable mm-hmm. Patriots organization. Right. And we let it slide. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Mr. Wagner, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it, sharing insights. More than just football, uh, everything you're doing, I definitely want to connect with you. You know, um, I started my own VC firm. I've been investing for a while. I think there's a lot of synergies there. Uh, yeah, so just more together, man. Yeah, just, just really excited for what lies ahead. And you're still doing it on the field. Just had another man. great year for yourself, uh, you know. You know, the, the team didn't do as well as you like, but I, I know y'all are up to some great things and you'll keep being uh, spectacular on and off the field. So once man. again, man, I, I really appreciate the time. Just great energy. Thank, thank you guys. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate your podcast. Like, I, like again, like somebody sent me the clip um, when Steve brought me up and it made me start listening to your podcast. And, you know, when I see like, when I see, when I listen to podcasts and I see like people that I want to listen to, like majority of times, like if they talk before, I'll just fast forward to where they start talking. But like, with y'all, I don't do that. I can't, like, the stuff that y'all do before, the talks mm-hmm. y'all have before, I really be like, dang, like, that's a really dope perspective, but that's really crazy. So like, I look forward to those, those like kind of what's going on in the world moments before you lead into the conversation. So I just wanna let y'all know y'all doing a fantastic job and y'all got a, a big fan on, on this end. Appreciate it. We're going to use that as a, you the, you the spokesperson for the pod because we can take that one clip and, yeah. and that's what we're hey. going to, our pitch meetings, we're using hey, that. Thank you. Hey, look, I just want 2%. Easy. <laughs> Easy. <laughs>